This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. John Justrinsky. Sports Radio 903 here on this Thursday evening. Just getting warmed up. It's JJ John Shostremsky. We're right here on the fan, and we are now counting down the days to Super Bowl 55. And I'm fired up, man. Patrick Mahomes, best player in the sport. Tom Brady, greatest quarterback of all time. We get the storybook type of scene for this Super Bowl to break it all down to talk a little offseason. One of the all-time greats. Love reading this guy. NBC Sports, Peter King podcast, man of many talents. What's up, Peter King? How you doing? John, how are you? Peter, I'm doing great, man. No complaints. First of all, we got through this NFL season. I'm relieved about that. It's amazing. Sec- isn't, isn't, it- isn't it amazing, Peter? You know, we had the conversation draft time and in the summertime. It was like this monumental if hanging around 2020 in the NFL. Peter, bottom line is, we made it, bro. You know, what's really what's really weird about it, I just got to Tampa today, and, you know, you look around and you say, my God, it's a ghost town down here. And it kind of is a ghost town, but what did you expect? You know, I mean, do you expect all party animals and all that? No, it's it, that's not what this year is. This year is get this done, do it in as an exciting way, as, you know, in as exciting a way as you can, knowing that it's just totally, totally different this year than it ever has been and it ever, it ever shall be again. And, you know, here's the weird thing. How about this, John? So this is the 55th Super Bowl, okay? Never, ever have uh, the participating teams not been around the whole week to kind of publicize the game. They've been on video conferences and all that stuff. But starting with the first Super Bowl, when Pete Rozelle told the teams, you are going to come to Los Angeles, and you're going to be available for the media to do interviews all week in between your practices. Well, the Kansas City Chiefs are sitting at home right now, and they're probably all watching Groundhog Day or something at home, You know, which, by the way, I noticed that I think AMC had Groundhog Day on six times 
on Groundhog Day. They should have it as a loop throughout all of 2020 into 2021, just saying. I mean, Good advice for them. Do that. But, but anyway, the point I was going to make is that it's what's so crazy about it is the Kansas City Chiefs are basically going to be in Tampa for about as long as they were in Tampa when they played here in Week 12. How crazy is that? They're going that home is, after the game. Winner is. I mean, that is pretty wild to think about. But, <laughs> it's hey, all, it's that's, all nutty. that's the NFL 2020 year in a nutshell. You're yeah. a great historian of the game. Um, I was unfortunately not on planet Earth, Peter, when Marino took on Montana yeah. in the only Super Bowl that Dan Marino that ever appeared first, in. Was I wasn't even a Super thought, Bowl. just throwing that out there. But from a quarterback perspective, just thinking aloud of the best quarterback matchups, what do you think this one ranks with Mahomes and Brady? Well, I mean, of the 37 I've been to, uh, I would say that, you know, obviously Marino, Montana probably was, you know, was clearly one of, you know, the two or three best ever. And now you have this one. And, and you know, look, there was Favre Elway, but somehow, someway, Favre Elway is, is not even, uh, you know, Brady Mahomes. Because I think we all believe, unless Mahomes quits football to play center field for the Royals or shortstop or second base, whatever he'd play, um, that he's going to climb the ladder and be one of the great ones. And clearly, uh, you know, Brady is right now, if not the greatest one. But that's the one I really remember. If you ask me of all the Super Bowls I've covered, that is the one I really remember as being the, uh, you know, as, as being the Super Bowl matchup that I thought would be one of the all-time great ones, and it is. And, and after the game, I'll never forget, you know, in Palo Alto, everybody's saying to Dan Marino, don't worry, Dan, you, you'll be in a lot of these. So, you, you know, don't worry, you'll get, you'll get yours. And he never was back at a Super Bowl. So I think, I think here, the one thing I think everybody believes is that Patrick Mahomes is not going to be 1984 Dan Marino. You know, that he's going to get to a lot of these. But I just think this is probably the last time that Brady and Mahomes will ever meet on a football field. The odds are against them, quite honestly, ever meeting again. Uh, because, you know, Brady is in the NFC. Mahomes in the AFC, they met in the regular season this year. So unless Brady changes conferences, there's a very good chance this will be the last time, you know, barring another Super Bowl appearance against each other, they'll be the last time they ever meet. And so uh, just I think we'll all remember this one for a long time. Peter, you've covered every step of Tom Brady's career along the way. And listen, you saw the first Super Bowl uh, against the St. Louis Rams when John Madden, who was one of the all-time great broadcasters, basically said that night they should play for overtime. What a different world yeah. that was. What a different NFL yeah. that was. And listen, John got plenty of calls right over the years. I could bring that one up. It's okay. He, he, trust me, he's doing a-okay with me critiquing that one. But in, in all seriousness, you were one of those guys. I remember in March, you told me this at the draft. You told me throughout the year you were a believer in Tampa. I'd make the argument, Peter, at his age, going to a new team, escaping the comfort zone that he had for 18, 19 years with Bill Belichick, 
can make the argument, if he beats Mahomes, the best player in football, the defending Super Bowl champ, I can make the case this is the greatest achievement of Tom Brady's career. Am I nuts? I think it's a great point. I think I'd probably go with the first Super Bowl beating the greatest show on turf uh, with uh, whatever they were, a 9, 10, 11-point underdog team. And still nobody believed in Brady in that first year. I will never forget on that night watching – uh, you know, on the field after the game, Brady had his hands to his head, the famous NFL films shot right now. Brady with his hands to his head, just shaking his head back and forth like, I can't believe it. Like Jack Buck with the Kirk Gibson home run. I don't believe what I just saw. And, you know, honestly, that, I, I don't know why, but look, that'll go down as the greatest one, in my opinion, for him. But, I think you're right in glorifying this one because of everything you had to overcome and the fact that when you think about it, really, John, you know, the fact that you don't have a real off-season program and Brady has to invent an off-season program at a, at a prep school, at a high school uh, right near downtown Tampa where he brought all of these guys in and I don't know if you remember this, but remember at the time the NFLPA was all over Brady. Everybody was saying you shouldn't be meeting, you shouldn't be having practices. And Brady is saying, okay, I'll take the heat and I'll take the, all the COVID criticism, you know, because everybody says, hey, you shouldn't be having off-season workouts. I got to have off-season workouts if we're even going to have a chance. And, and I'll just give you a quick little postscript on that. Whenever I think of a great accomplishment by Brady, one of the things, obviously, is coming back from 28-3 to down against Atlanta four years ago. But it isn't only that he came back in the game. If you look at the videotape of that game, the last, like, the, the, you know, like the last half of the fourth quarter and then this first drive of overtime where they go down and win the game, if you look at that, you will see that Tom Brady is throwing the ball to Chris Hogan, Long Island's own Chris Hogan, and to Malcolm Mitchell, a rookie mid-round pick from Georgia who actually, because of a knee injury, never played much in the NFL after that. Chris Hogan and Malcolm Mitchell were his key weapons in the passing game when he makes the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history. How insane is that? And when I asked Brady about it, you know, why are you throwing to Chris Hogan so much? He said, Peter, 122 practices. And that's his big thing. So once I kind of knew that toward the end of this year, Tampa Bay with all the great receivers, you know, everybody else, the world is shocked when he makes that bizarre, ridiculous throw with eight seconds to go in the first half of the NFC championship game at Green Bay to Scotty Miller. But, you know, I guarantee you if you talk to Brady about that, the reason he had the faith to go to Scotty Miller is not just because he had a step on Kevin King, but it's because I bet he's made that throw to Scotty Miller 300 times in practice this year, 122 practices or however many they've had. Peter, if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to win this game, you sign right now for holding Kansas City at 28 points, I would. I wouldn't think twice. If they could hold Kansas City at 28 points, I'm taking my chances. 
Yeah, and they might be able to do that because, you know, let's go back to the NFC game for a minute, the NFC championship game. You know, Aaron Rodgers, to that point in the season, had been sacked uh, 20 times in 17 games total, including the first playoff game they played. You know, so, in other words, he is getting sacked less than 1.2 times a game, you know. And so you figure that Aaron Rodgers is going to have time to do what he wants. And even though this young, upcoming, up-and-coming secondary of the Bucks is really improving, uh, you figure that, uh, that Rodgers is going to have time to do what he needs to do. And what happens? He gets sacked five times by Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul, and that had a gigantic impact on the game. You know, he goes incomplete, incomplete, incomplete on his last three plays of the game, Rodgers does, and twice he gets significant pressure, including once getting a big shot in the ribs from Indomitian Sue. So I think that Andy Reid has to be concerned right now about whether he and his absolute total patchwork of an offensive line can work well enough that they can protect uh, that they can protect Patrick Mahomes. And again, everybody's going to say, "Well, Mahomes, don't worry. He's going to be able to be mobile. He'll get out of there, and and all that stuff." Well, that's what everybody thought about Aaron Rodgers too. And and again, I'm not saying that Kansas City won't protect him. That is going to be a feisty, combative boxing match of a situation between the Kansas City offensive line and and especially if Vita Vey is fairly healthy. That is an impossible, if Vita Vey is healthy, that's going to be an impossible uh, defensive line to keep away from Mahomes, those four guys up front. So we'll see. I think, I think that is the biggest X factor of this game. The legendary Peter King, he joins us here on The Fan. Okay, Peter, let's run around the league. Rams, they get Stafford. They give up two first-round picks. They say goodbye to Jared Goff. There were reports right after their game against Green Bay that the quarterback and the head coach needed marriage counseling. That's never a good sign. Sometimes they work it out. Other times they don't. I think the Rams don't have a better chance to win next year with Matthew Stafford as their quarterback. You agree with that? I do, too, but... You know, look, if you look back at the trade that got him golf in the first place, and now you look at the trade that's getting him, uh, Matthew Stafford, I just want you to, I, I just want to, to tell you a couple of things about those two trades to get quarterbacks. You know, they, they thought they were getting their franchise quarterback in golf. And so basically they traded seven draft choices for him. Six, actually, but Tennessee turned it into a seventh. And among those draft picks that Tennessee used, the 43rd pick in the 2016 draft, Derrick Henry. Now, Derrick Henry, unless he falls off a cliff, is going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame one day. So, you know, that's a, that's a gigantic cost to pay for a guy who, after five years, you give up on. And now, so you give up on that guy. And now you trade two ones and a three to get Matthew Stafford. So now, you know, what they have done is they've traded uh, uh, four ones, two twos, and two threes 
to solve their quarterback situation over a seven-year period. That is an incredible cost to the Rams. So all I'm saying is Matthew Stafford had better be good or else the Rams have really been set back without getting a proper reward for all the picks that they've used to sign to uh, get their number one quarterbacks. Totally fair. Deshaun Watson, 2021 opening day. Is he a Houston Texan? I don't know. I just don't know. I think it depends right now, JJ, on on uh, how uh, how firm Nick Casario is going to be. And who well, with that contract, Peter, I feel like I'd play hardball if I'm the Texans. I'm not trying to, I, you know, I put myself in their I shoes. They will. The, the previous regime just paid them a ton of money. I say, you know what, Deshaun? You're on the contract. You want to hold out? You want to not get paid? Be my guest. That's what I'd do. Paid him $27 million in the last five months, okay? And, and if Deshaun Watson holds out into the regular season, if he holds out, through the offseason and through training camp, it's going to cost him out of his pocket $2.4 million. Now, you can say, well, he's already made all this money. That's not that big a deal. $2.4 million is a big deal. So, but, but what you're, let, let me, the reason why I say I don't know, okay, is that there's three or four very important characters in this story. And let's just talk about three of them. Deshaun Watson is a non-confrontational human being. Okay. He's a, he's one of the nicest guys you've ever met. Okay. But right now he's angry. How far can he take that anger? How far will he take that anger? I don't know. But Deshaun Watson has never been criticized in his life ever about anything. So now what's going to happen if you've got half of the free world killing you because of what we just talked about, they paid you 27 million bucks over five months. And now because you're angry that you don't get a say in the GM, you're holding out. That's Hey man, that's the way life is. Sometimes you don't get everything you want, but on the other side, I'll tell you two other people who don't have any history of standing up in a hugely unpopular decision and, a, and what they're really going to have to fight about. And that is the general manager of the Houston Texans, uh, Nick Casario. He has watched Bill Belichick make decisions like this for two decades. He has never once had to make a decision like this. Can he? I don't know. He's never had to do it. Cal McNair sat by and watched his father found the Houston Texans and then own the Houston Texans and make all the tough decisions. He's never made a tough decision in his life. And now those three people are all going to have to do something incredibly uncharacteristic, which is to stand up against the intense public criticism. Who's going to fold? I don't know. Sounds like one of my poker games. You know, I'm thinking of a guy who's going to be under the microscope next year. Peter, I feel for my guy, Tua. I mean, with the year Justin Herbert had with the Chargers, Burrow having the it factor with the Bengals, you know, he's been saying he had a below-average rookie year. I think he's graded himself a little harshly. Now, listen, he wasn't Justin Herbert. Played great against Arizona. Beat Belichick, which no rookie quarterback ever seems to do. And they had a winning record in his starts. Does he have to be better? Yes. Did he pass the eye test? 
to where you say, oh, that's a star quarterback in the making? No, not in the least, but did Eli Manning look that way? Did Drew Brees look that way? Did Josh Allen look that way? There are so many different examples of guys not hitting the ground running and flourishing. From what you're hearing down in Miami, how concerned are the Dolphins long-term about Tua? I don't really think they're that concerned right now. Um, now, a year from now, if he has another C season, they'll be concerned. And, you know, you compare him to other quarterbacks, but, but let's be real. All right. The first time, let's look at the last, say, five years. All right. So, so, you know, there's two quarterbacks from the 17 draft, or I'm sorry, three quarterbacks from the 17 draft that were, uh, you know, that basically had to answer the bell in their first year, year and a half. Deshaun Watson, a stud right away. Richard Sherman says that's the best rookie quarterback we've ever faced. Uh, and then, obviously, Patrick Mahomes. His first year, he only plays one game against Denver, but he's great. And then the next year, he's great from the word go. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, you know, the Chicago Bears just hit hit the wall. They made the wrong pick in Mitchell Trubisky. But there have been a lot of quarterbacks in the last few years who – either because they played right away as a rookie or maybe in their second year, they were really good right away. And, you know, that that is not Tua Tagovailoa's fault. But the fact is, a lot of quarterbacks leave college football more pro-ready than they used to. Won't you be very surprised if uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars sit uh, Trevor Lawrence most or all of his first year? I think you'd be very surprised. I think we all stunned. I'd be stunned. Yeah, he he might have a few growing pains, but I think we all think he's going to have a very good rookie year. And so, again, I'm not saying that anybody should make any rash judgments on Tua yet. You shouldn't, but he hasn't shown it. We'll see if he can. There's no way that Miami should be thinking negatively about him right now. You don't do that until at least the end of your second year. He needs a real chance to, to uh, you know, to take the ups and the downs and, uh, and to come back and play well this year. But I agree with you. I think we're judging him by standards that probably are a little bit unfair. I didn't see it this year. You didn't see it. Nobody really saw it. But there have been so many cases. Peyton Manning set the NFL interceptions record when he was a rookie in 98 for the Indianapolis Colts. I covered a game of his late in that year at Baltimore where he was awful. And, you know, you think they were really happy toward the end of that first year? No, but that's why you don't make a judgment on a quarterback at the end of one year. You spent some time with Saquon Barkley. I think everybody loves Saquon Barkley around here. He's a likable kid. He's an easy kid to root for. And when he's on the field, Peter, he's a stud. The problem that I have is I always thought it was the wrong pick at the wrong time for the Giants. And now they're kind of in a position where he's coming off a torn ACL. You're going to have to pay him at some point in time. Is he going to be the same guy? Like, there are so many different variables and questions now with Saquon 
where I just look back and I say, wow, they wasted a lot of the prime years of what a running back is supposed to be because you you know the history of the league. You know the history of the position. Very rare that you have the Curtis Martin and the Jerome Bettis sticking around or the Gore 10, 11, 12 years into the league. Giants, listen, I think they'd want to do over on that pick and it has nothing to do with the player. But do you get the sense we will see the best of what Barkley has to offer after this injury? What was your uh, take from having that conversation? I think he believes that he's going to be every bit as good or better uh, this year than he has been. But, you know, clearly you know, there was more at, at play. I thought, I had thought, and I don't know why I thought this, but I thought that, he, you know, there was 40 days between his injury on September 20 and his surgery on October 30. And I thought it had something to do with COVID. Because remember, he had the surgery out in L.A., and I just thought, well, you know, maybe he's not able to get his surgeon to do the surgery, whatever. But he said no. He said the deal was I had to get my MCL fixed. That had to, that had to heal naturally uh, in order to maximize. They needed to maximize the healing on his MCL and then do the ACL surgery. So that was one part of it. But here's the other thing. I don't know if you if you heard it in his voice when I it's on my podcast this week for those who don't know what we're talking about, but I, I did say Con Barkley on the podcast this week. But one of the things that I t- I got from him is that he went through a little bit of depression this year at missing football, not playing and and being hurt, especially as the Giants got good. He's you know his team's doing well without him. There's Wayne Gallman playing at a B level. You know, but I agree with you. He's in a tough spot now. The Giants are in a tough spot now because, you know, they probably have to decide by the end of this year whether they're going to pay him. And then if they don't pay him, uh, you know, basically huge money, 18 to 20 million a year, then, you know, if I were him, I might not, I might not want to agree to a long-term contract, and then we'll see what happens after year five. So I don't know. I think it's a fun, the Giants are in a funny situation. And again, you said it exactly right. He's a great kid, a very likable kid. Never, ever would I have taken him second overall. Um, I just don't think Especially where they're at. Now, in fairness, Peter, I probably would have taken Donald with the second pick in the draft. So you never know how that would have worked out from a Giants standpoint. But looking back, Allen or Lamar Jackson would have been the proper pick. Correct. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes you miss on a quarterback and you got to swing for the fences. But, you know, look, in 2016, what pick was Derrick Henry? 43. You know, in 2017, what pick was uh, Alvin Kamara? I think it was 67. What pick was Kareem Hunt? rushing title as a rookie i don't know 78 or something like that but you know they were in the third round and again i'm not saying that you can't take a running back fairly high i just don't think it makes much sense to take one second overall peter how much craziness are we going to have in this offseason with the quarterback position i mean i feel like it's only just begun with stafford and golf but now i'm looking around the league i mean from watson the car hearing Cousins rumors, hearing Garoppolo rumors. Seems like February, March, and April for you is going to be insanity. It's, you know, it's, I think it'll be, 
you know, Adam Schefter said he put the over under at 18 and take the over. And I thought that was a, a very prescient comment by him because <clears throat> it seems that there's a record number of teams who are unhappy with their quarterbacks. And there aren't enough great ones to go around. <clears throat> and that's why I believe that if Watson gets moved, the haul for Deshaun Watson should be, should be, should be <clears throat> absolutely crazy. Like four ones and maybe a player crazy. Because if you look at NFL history, you know, very, very rarely has a big-time, excellent quarterback moved, okay? Well, at this age, Peter, you know, we were going through it on the air. The only one I could think of off the top of my head in the last 20 years, I'm not counting Montana too old, I'm not counting Favre, I'm not counting Peyton Manning because of the neck and Brady, and these guys aren't on that level because Breeze, when he was a free agent, you know, the shoulder and what went on there, leaving the San Diego Chargers. And the only other guy, and he didn't live up to the billing, was Cutler when McDaniels came in and basically wanted to take T-ball. Who am I missing over the last 20 or 25, 30 years? A quarterback this good, two, prime of the year? I can't think opinion, of one. I can't. In, in, let's say, modern NFL history, since in like the last 50, 55 years, okay, I would say there's only been two. You know, in 1987, and it's, it's funny because I wrote this in my column this week. Get this. In 1987, Steve Young got traded at 25 years, seven months old, okay, from Tampa to San Francisco. He got traded for a two and a four because, remember, at that time, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were awful and Steve Young stunk. And he stunk because they were awful. He didn't, he wasn't awful because he was awful. He was just on an awful team. It's like what happened to Archie Manning when he was in New Orleans in the early 70s. But the other one that, you know, you're going to have to be a, a person of a certain age, which you're not. The other one is Fran Tarkenton, who now remember when Fran Tarkenton retired, he had thrown more touchdown passes for more yards than any quarterback in NFL history. So he was a big stud quarterback, even though he was a smaller guy. He was the Russell Wilson of his day. Just remember, at age 27, the New York Giants paid two ones and two twos to the Minnesota Vikings to get Fran Tarkenton. Okay? But in my opinion, those two guys are the only two guys in my lifetime that have been very highly regarded quarterbacks who moved at such a young age, and neither of them were the franchise-type quarterback that it appears that Deshaun Watson is going to be. So this is a rarity, but I'm just saying that if he moves, it's, it's – I mean, imagine if you're Nick Casario. Your whole life since you've been in the NFL for whatever, for at least the last 15 years – you wanted to be a general manager. And imagine you take this job and imagine before you leave, your team even plays a game that you make a decision that will go down on your football epitaph. Here's the idiot who traded Deshaun Watson. You know, 
So that's what I'm talking about with how much pressure there is on Watson and his agent and uh, the Houston Texans and their GM. Peter, final one. I appreciate the time. Bucks, Chiefs, who you got? Well, on Labor Day weekend, I sat down at my little laptop on the seventh floor of my apartment in Brooklyn, and I picked the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win the Super Bowl 30-25 to over the Baltimore Ravens. So I'm going to stick with my pick, and I'm going to pick them to win bizarrely, I think if they do win, the MVP might be one of the two pass rushers because, you know, the way that they have to win is to really bother Mahomes and force Mahomes into a turnover or two, a few sacks that he might not be used to. Um, And Brady's just got to play the tortoise and the hare. He's got to play the slow and steady game. Um, and use his receivers the way he's been using them recently. It's definitely possible that Tampa Bay will win this game, but in order to win this game, the formula is going to be a little bit different than most people who watch the game Sunday night think. And that formula, I think, is going to have to be a very disruptive pass rush and a secondary that was a lot that is a lot better than they played in the first game in Week 12 when. Tyreek Hill had the greatest game of his life, college or pro. The legend, the great Peter King, who would be making me a very happy man if that prediction comes true. Because, Peter, let's just say one radio host is invested in Tampa Bay to go and win the Super Bowl. <laughs> and we got juicy odds back in week 14 and week 15 at 14 to 1. So, if it ends up hitting, beer's on me somewhere in Brooklyn when the weather gets nice and we can eat outside again. I like the sound of that. That's great. Hey, listen, great being on with you, John. Always enjoy it. That's the guest. He is the legend. Peter King, who has the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is music to my ears. Unbelievable insight. Going around the NFL, talking Brady. I mean, you want to talk about a historian. That guy is as good as it gets with the NFL history. He is a must-read for me every Monday. He was when I did the overnight. Still is now when I wake up on Monday. Love reading the column. It's as good as it gets. 877-337-6666. We get back to your calls. Outstanding. lot to get to. Buccaneers and the Chiefs come Super Bowl 55. Bauer watches on. And new training methods for Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton. I like it. We're coming right back. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 